And, um, and you are blessed today. You are blessed today for a lot of reasons, but you are blessed today because our, our new friend, new friend to you, you're going to leave friends today. Um, but uh, I'm excited to introduce to you uh, this wonderful sister that stands beside me, our sister in the Lord, Michelle Lang. And she is here, um, and she's going to share a word. And she has a lot of great accomplishments in her life. Um, she is the director of campus ministries at Warner Pacific College. She oversees spiritual formation there. She has been involved in many different things, arts and theater, and she is an artist, and she is a wonderful speaker. And I could read from this list, but I want to tell you why I invited her here, because I didn't know any of those things about her when I heard Michelle speak. I was gathered with several um, pastors and leaders through various cities in the Northwest at City Advance. Um, and, and, and as we were there seeking the Lord, how do we engage as the church, as Christ's bride, how do we engage with our cities so that we meet the needs of the city and fulfill Isaiah 61? Are we doing that? If not, how shall we do that? And if we are doing that, how shall we do that better? And those are the kind of conversations that we're having, and we're having those consistently. We've been a part of that stream for quite some time. We've been on that journey uh, with, you know, with Tim Keller and Luis Palau Association and yeah. many of you, and it's been an amazing journey, and God is moving. And uh, one of the leaders there invited Michelle to come and share with the pastors, and she brought a poignant word. And she brought a word in such a way with such a voice of both confidence and authority from Christ, but also humility. It was winsome, and it moved me. And I thought, my goodness, Lord, I appreciate the apostolic anointing that is on this woman. And afterwards, I came and prayed with Michelle a little bit. I think I made you cry, didn't I? Yeah. I did. I made Michelle cry. Yeah. Let's just bask in that for a minute. <laughs> Man, that anointing that's on me is good. Wait a minute. No, I'm bragging on you. Okay, so anyway, but I was so blessed, and I just immediately was like, Lord, I want to have Michelle come and share her heart and share from that anointing and from that perspective and from that journey, from that experience, and exhort our tribe here, Christ Center. And so I would like you to welcome, with an open heart, my dear sister Michelle Lang. Can we give her a Christ Center welcome? Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Hallelujah. Thank you, sir. Good morning. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Is it still morning? It is still morning. Amen. Oh, man. Thank you all for that, uh, that warm invitation. Thank you, Pastor Joshua. Um, Joshua, what's your name too? Josiah. So, okay, I'm going to brag on you one more time. I don't even know you, but congratulations on your award. But I want to, like, commend you even more because your track meet was just yesterday. Um, so, like, for, like, winning championships yesterday and then being right here on the front row at your church the very next day, I want to commend you for that. Now, Josiah, you're better than me because I would have wore my medal and sat, <laughs> sat on the front row. I would have done that, but, uh, you know, but maybe you walk in more humility than I do, um, which is probably good. So <laughs> praise the Lord. Um, it's an honor to be here. It's an honor to have the invitation of Pastor Joshua and Karen that um, allowed me to come, um, to come out here. And um, I'm just really honored to be here. And I really mean that. I don't take it for granted. I don't take it lightly when anybody invites you into their home, into their house, uh, to speak to their, their flock. Amen? And so I do take it as an honor and a privilege to be here. I, I told the, the first uh, service this morning that I visited Roseburg a couple of weekends ago. <coughs> oh, there's something going on with my voice, too. So, you know, pardon me if it gets kind of, you know, kind of Kermit the Frog every now and then. You know, just go with it. It's, you know, truth can come through Kermit. He's an American institution, so it's okay. Um, but I, I visited Roseburg a couple of weekends ago, and I, I, I told them there, I don't know what it was, but the moment I drove into Roseburg, I started saying y'all. Like, I just, I just started saying y'all. Like, if there were ever more than one, one person in a room, I'd say, hey, y'all, and what's up, y'all? And, and the thing was, they didn't say y'all, um, but I just kept feeling like saying y'all. And, and the same thing has happened to me here since I drove into Harrisburg and Junction City. I just feel like saying y'all. And I know y'all don't even say y'all, but I just feel like saying y'all. So, hey, y'all. 
hey. And so I think I'm a girl from Mississippi, and so I think maybe this area reminds me of, of the South and reminds me of Mississippi. And so y'all is like an endearment for, for when you feel at home. Amen? Amen. Amen. So uh, thanks for well, Truth be told, anywhere you have a djembe, I feel at home, actually. So uh, I'm glad that I got to be here on, on the acoustic day because that drum is uh, the beat of, of, uh, of my heart. I, um, I did a little digging around uh, on y'all, looked y'all up a little bit. We're officially Facebook friends. And, uh, and so I looked y'all up a little bit. I hope that's okay. Um, and I looked on your website, and I, I was like, who are these christ Center people out in Junction City. Uh, see how that little southern accent just creeped in for no reason. Like, you don't even talk like that. But that's what I hear in my head. <laughs> Who are these people out in Junction City? And I looked on your website, and the way that, that the website comes up, the first thing it says is that Christ Center is a powerful people who release heaven everywhere they go. Amen? Like, that's what you say about yourself on your website. Did you know that? That's a pretty bold statement. That's a pretty, like, that's a significant, like, little, you know, like, if you had a tattoo, you'd say, I'm a powerful person releasing heaven everywhere I go. That's, that's a no-joke marker. I was like, okay, so I'm, I'm going to go fellowship with and, and worship with and be a part of a powerful people who release heaven everywhere they go. That rings of commitment. Amen? That rings of, 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 of endurance. That rings of inspiration. That rings of determination. A powerful people who release heaven everywhere they go. You guys could, like, seriously take a picture and that, like, be your own motivational poster, like, in people's office. You like that, I'm telling you. I like it. A powerful people, people who are committed, who are determined, people who endure. And I'm excited about that. Pastor Joshua and I were talking about how you all just do a series about discipleship. And I want to talk about that. I want to talk about how do a powerful people engage discipleship with Christ, dis engage discipleship, following after Jesus. How do people who are committed to being committed and determined and to enduring and to standing strong, how else can they engage discipleship in Christ? Amen? And, and listen, that right there, that works for me. Amen? Say that, sister. I know that's right. All that kind of talk back, that works for me. Amen? Amen. All right. You can do right. You can clap and slap a knee at the same time. I wonder if today, you powerful people, you committed, determined people, I wonder, could we, could you, could we make room for the idea, though, that God is calling us to just give up? Could we make space for the idea, could we entertain for a little bit this morning the idea that God might be actually calling leading us even to just give up, that it's time to give up. I know that sounds kind of counterintuitive, right? I mean, we hear all the time, don't give up, don't quit, don't let go, hang in there, hold on, keep the faith, don't give up. Don't give up on your college uh, uh, pursuits. Don't give up on your church. Don't give up on your friendships, on your relationships, on your marriage. Don't give up on your dreams. Don't give up on your goals. Hang in there. Hold on no matter what it takes. Don't give up. Hold on to what makes you right. So it's a little counterintuitive for somebody to stand up here and say, it might be time to just give up. It's a common, popular, maybe even necessary perspective on many occasions, especially for people like me. I don't know if there's anybody here like me, but people like me who can so easily convince themselves that whatever I'm going to get out of this is not what it takes to put into it. It's easy for us to say, ah, 
But people like me need people like some of you, need people like you, need people like me to speak into their life and say, don't give up. But today, I want to challenge us to consider that maybe as a qualification for being called a disciple of Christ, maybe now or maybe even sometime later in your life, maybe as a qualifier for being a disciple of Christ, that there is some virtue, some bravery, maybe even some wisdom to the idea of there being a time to give up, to change, to change your mind, to change your activity, to change your thinking, to change your activity and your actions. As we look at, at what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and maybe even to reach out to, to a world that seems to be confused and confounded by what it means to follow Jesus, I want us to look at what it might mean for us to say following Jesus means I actually gave up. For the sake of what actually matters, I gave up fighting about what doesn't matter. Amen? For the sake of what actually, truly, really, deeply, eternally matters, I just gave up fighting about what doesn't. Amen? Amen. Let's, let's pray. <coughs> Lord God, thank you this occasion that you have called us all to, this moment that you have called us all to. God, let this time that we share uh, just be a continuation of the time that we've already been sharing this morning um, as we go deeper, dive deeper into what your word says and to how it can be applied to our life. God, my prayer right now and always is that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be acceptable in your sight. Um, you are my strength. You are my redeemer. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So I work at, um, as, as Pastor Joshua said, I work at um, a place called Warner Pacific College. Um, side note, really quick, I didn't say this earlier, but for those of you who might be interested in applying to college, if you go to the website and fill out an application for the school and you use my name as the code, then they will waive your application fee. That's just an F. Why I and that goes on forever. So you're welcome. <laughs> Just use my name, no spaces, right? But I work at this place called Warner Pacific College. And when I first came to Warner, there was a lot of talk about change. A lot of talk about um, changing and diversifying, particularly as it related to increasing access to education and about cultivating a mindset that would lead us more towards a diversity, towards a diverse population and serving diverse populations. Lots of positive and affirming talk about change. Here's the thing about change, y'all. Everybody likes the idea of change. Amen? Until it's your turn to give up something for it. Amen, somebody. Everybody loves the idea of change until it's your turn, until it's my turn to give up something for it. Now, trust me, I know. I literally have membership at two gyms waiting on me to embrace change. <laughs> waiting, Josiah, waiting. <laughs> I drive by Planet Fitness every day like, hey, y'all, I'm coming one of these days. I'm coming. I'm positive there's books and projects and things that I'm supposed to do that are just waiting on me to embrace the idea that I have to give up some other things so that I can focus on the things that I'm actually supposed to be doing. Everybody likes the idea of change until it's your turn to actually give up something for it. Amen, somebody. Am I the only one? We like it until it's our turn to give up something for it. My first year at Warner, first year, first semester at Warner, I had a student come in my office and rave. He was excited. 
He came in and he raved about how excited he was that Warner was, was embracing change, that Warner was going to move towards this new dynamic, that Warner was changing and evolving and progressing, and he was really excited that we were doing that and that we were having all these positive conversations about it. Loved the idea of diversity. Told me about all the people in his life that he shared different cultures with, and he just loved the idea that we were changing. I was like, good, his name was Matt. Like, good, nice, Matt, great. I'm glad we're going to do this journey together, Matt. Let's do it. Same school year, but the second semester, same student comes in my office, and he sits down in my office, and he looks at me straight in my eyes, and he says, Michelle, I think you're bringing in too many black male speakers. I was like, you know, if you had on, if you had on pearls, you would clutch them like, oh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> clutch my pearls. <laughs> okay. But, I, you know, I wanted to respect that he walked in my, my office. He walked in my office. So I'm thinking, it took you a lot to, it took you, you had to work your way in here. But I had to respect that he came in, sat down, looked me in my face, and said, Michelle, same student, Michelle, I think you're bringing in too many black male speakers. So here's what we did. Even though I knew the truth, I knew the numbers, right? I said, okay, Matt, let's, let's run the numbers. So I have a big whiteboard in my office, and so we literally ran the numbers. Now, you have to get this picture. I wrote on the top of the whiteboard, black male, white male, uh, black female, white female, Native American, Pacific Islander, Latino, Asian. I wrote it all out. Everybody I could think of. I wrote it all out. And we did the little stick thing, the little tally thing. Cats, get, you got to get this, right? We sat there, wrote it all out, tally, tally, tally. We counted it up, and we stood back, and we looked at the board. And the numbers said that even though it was true, we had more black male speakers than ever in the history of Warner, um, the majority still leaned towards white male speakers, right? So here Matt and I are in my office, and we're looking at the board. I'm looking at the board. I look at Matt. Look at the board. I look at Matt, who is not looking at me. And I said, well, Matt, what you think? And he says, well, I see the numbers, but I just feel like dot, dot, dot. I said, oh, okay. And he, he, he kept going. He goes, I just feel, Michelle, like the, that this should be a representation of the student body. And I don't feel like this represents the student body population. I said, oh, okay, Matt, okay, okay. I said, um, I noticed that it does not concern you that I only brought in four women this year of any ethnicity. So I noticed you're not really bothered by the, the, the amount of women I brought in. Uh, I said, because, you know, if you're talking about fair representation of the student body, there's actually more women that go here than guys, so I should actually have more women <laughs> up here. And Matt said, well, I'm not concerned about that right now. I said, oh, okay, okay. So then we kind of had, we, we kept having this conversation. I explained to, I explained to Matt, I said, listen, Matt, the number of chapels per year doesn't change. The number of chapels, the days in the year don't change. The number of days, the number of chapels don't change. So the only thing that can change is the dynamic and the demographic of the people that I bring in. Make sense? So I can't change the number of days. I can't change the number of chapels. All I can change is the demographic. If we're really going to change, the thing that has to change is the demographic of the people that I bring in. You heard all the crickets in Oregon chirping. Because <laughs> here's why. Everybody likes the idea of change until it's your turn to give up something for it. Everybody likes the idea 
Let's look at a scripture. Let's look, let's, look, let's look at a passage. We've been talking again, Pastor Josh, when I talked about how you all are moving into or have already moved into a series about discipleship. So let's look at a moment where a young man asks Jesus, what does it take to be your disciple? How do I, how do I, how do I get on board? How do I go with? How do I do Jesus? How do I do this? It's in Matthew chapter 19. It's a familiar passage to many. It reads like this. Just then... A man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony. Honor your mother and your father and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said, what do I still lack? Jesus answered, oh, okay, okay, okay. My Jesus is like from Compton, so he talks a little different. He's like, okay, okay, okay. I see you, I see you. (laughs) And Jesus answers, well, if you want to be perfect, go. Sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad. Why? Because he had great wealth. Now listen, just prior to this moment, there's account after an account after an account of Jesus talking to large crowds, like large gatherings of people. But right here in this moment, it's just Jesus one-on-one. Jesus one-on-one with this young man. And here's a moment between these two where the man, the young man, asked Jesus a very simple, relatively speaking, question. And Jesus gives him a direct answer. It's almost like a form letter answer, right? You ever send somebody like a real deep question and they send you back like a form letter? You're like, no, my question was real. I don't want a form letter answer. I wanted a real answer, right? So Jesus is here and he kind of gives the man a form letter answer and the young man responds back, I think with a little bit of arrogance, you know, that's, that's, that's uh, interpretable. But he responds back um, and he says, I got a clarifying question. He goes, I already done all that stuff. What else do I got to do? This might be a good, a, a good occasion, young people, of stopping when you're ahead. But he didn't read it like that. <laughs> he didn't see it that way. He should have just took it, but whatever. Well, that's another day. He doesn't stop, and so Jesus, I think, knowing the young man's heart, he pushes in and he tells him, hey, all right, go sell your possessions, give to the poor, then you can come follow me. Scripture says the young man went away sad because Jesus asked him for too much. He asked him, he said, how can I be a disciple? How can I be down? How can I go with? The scripture says he went away sad because Jesus asked the young man for too much. Now, there's two truths that I think are embedded in here that I want us to drill down on for just a second. The first one is this. The first things that Jesus listed in his answer to this young man are probably not things that were going to be an issue for the young man anyway. Amen? He said, don't kill, don't steal, don't lie under oath, honor your mother and your father. For the most part, probably on most days for a guy who is secure in life, this is not an issue. Don't kill, don't steal, don't lie under oath. That, that is usually stuff that he, he could agree to, or at least all of us could agree to. Like if I came to you and I said, hey, I will pay off your mortgage if you don't kill, if you don't steal, if you don't lie under oath. Most of you would take that deal. Amen? And those of you who would not take that deal, I need you to come sit over here so we know who you are. (laughs) Just so we can have clarity in the room. So you know what you're dealing with. That stuff wasn't even hard for him to say, I could do that. I already do that. I already do that. That stuff wasn't even hard problematic, but it wasn't until Jesus asked him to change his relationship with his possessions 
that he started feeling some kind of way. It wasn't until Jesus said, change your relationship with the things you own, with the things that establish you as you, with the things that make you better and higher and bigger and more right. Change your relationship with those things. His area of struggle was related to money and not just the money, but the power and the identity that his money afforded him with the rightness, the authority that his money and position afforded him. He couldn't, wouldn't give that up. The second truth that I think is embedded in here is, I hope we know that Jesus didn't really want or need this man's stuff. Amen? And we know that because Jesus said, go sell it and go give it all away, then come follow me. If I was Jesus, I would have been like, sell your stuff and bring the cash. Right? Which is why we're all lucky I'm not Jesus. But Jesus said, I don't want your stuff. Sell your stuff. Sell your possessions. Give it to people who need it. And then you come follow me. Not your stuff. Not your things. Not that identity that you have presented and postured for everybody else. You come follow me. You. I don't want your stuff. I don't want your identity. I don't want this. I don't want this presentation that you've created for everybody else. Sell all that. I don't even need your stuff. Get rid of that. Then come on. Follow me. So we know Jesus didn't really want this man's stuff. He wanted to see, better yet, he wanted to let this young man see if he was willing to give up something something that mattered to him to get what he so passionately said he wanted, which was a life in and following Christ. Everybody likes the idea of change until it's your turn to give up something for it. Now, some would say, Michelle, why? Why? Should I give up something that I'm really good at or that I've earned or that I've worked hard for or that I've inherited by right? Why should I give up something that is mine, right, clear and free? Why should I give that up? I have earned my spot. I have earned this identity. I have earned this place. I have earned this square. Why should I give that up and for what? And listen, I fully understand that perspective. On most days, by the time something comes out of my mouth or by the time I do something, I think I'm right. Amen? Y'all can act like that ain't that I'm the only one in here that's like that. Y'all can act like that. But I think on most days, on most occasions, by the time it comes out of my mouth or by the time I do it, on most occasions, I think I'm right. Now, you can call that stubborn. You can call that determined. You can call that focused and functioning at a high level of efficiency and expertise, which is what I call it. (laughs) That's what it looks like to me. But on most occasions, by the time it comes out, by the time it shows up in my life, I think I'm right. But the scripture would say to us, there's a right way to be right. Amen? There is a right way to be right. Between the 8th and 12th chapters of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul exhorts us how to manage and how to navigate having knowledge and skill and opinion and power. And he calls it, that navigation, he calls it a more excellent way. The way to be right. He says there's a more excellent way. Way In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, Paul writes that everybody possesses knowledge or possesses something that, that they can own, that they can say is mine. I got this. But he says you have to be careful not to become one who stands flat-footed and declares and exclaims to everybody what you know because he or she who knows something doesn't even know what he or she doesn't even know. 
Up until yesterday, I knew nothing about a place called the Junkyard Diner. <laughs> never knew it existed. Never heard about it. Y'all been, it's been on TV and everything, and I never, didn't know, I didn't know. He says, be careful when you want to stand flat-footed and say, I know what I know. He says, you don't even know what you don't know. When I was in my early 20s, which was just a couple days ago, <laughs> I thought I knew everything. I don't know, can I get a witness in the room? In my 20s, I really thought I knew everything on a regular basis. That's how I engaged and interacted with the world. Like, I knew everything, and they should probably come ask my opinion <laughs> about what we're doing. I'm a little older now, and I realize in my 20s, I knew nothing about credit cards and finance. I knew nothing or very little about death and heartbreak. I didn't know anything about how the skies looked over the Bahamas. I knew nothing about what this country would look like if, if and when we ever had a black president. I knew nothing about, about, about how, many candy bars, um, how many candy bars one should eat before broccoli can't undo that. Like, I'm still trying to figure out how much broccoli does it take <laughs> to undo a decade of Milky Ways and Snick, like, how much? I knew nothing. I knew nothing about how my mentors were being kind and not telling me how ridiculous and, 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 and silly and over the top it was that I had to express my opinions about everything. But I couldn't help it, y'all, because I just knew everything. I didn't know what I didn't know. Stay in the scripture. Fast forward to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And here Paul says, even if you have lots of knowledge and the means to be exceptional and fully functioning in your irrevocable gifts and callings that God has bestowed on you as a pastor, a prophet, a teacher, an athlete, an academic, an actuary, whatever it is, even if you are fully functioning, there's a way, there's a right way to be right. And he calls it the more excellent way. I'll keep fast forwarding a little bit. And we find ourselves in 1 Corinthians 13. Where Paul, before this, Paul says in chapter 12, he says, love is the more excellent way. Love is the more excellent way. But know this, love will cost you something. Love will cost you something. Then we find ourselves plopped down in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, the famous love chapter of the Bible. And it's where we see all the wonderful things that love is. Y'all just got married, so they probably counseled you with this chapter and verse a million times. You're like, we get it, we get it, we get it. When's the wedding? And congratulations. <laughs> this whole chapter is about what love is. Love is this and love is that and, lo and, you, and the benefits of love and the wonders of love. Here's the thing. You get down to the end of this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And he ends this passage with this. He ends it like this. He says, when I was a child, I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. I acted like a child, but when I became a man, when I became a woman, what did I do? I put childish things away. Here's my question. Why would you end this beautiful chapter about love like this? Why would you tell me all the benefits and the, and the proficiencies and the, and, the, and the wonderful things I get or that love espouses? Why would you end this chapter about love with this passage? I thought when I was a child, I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. I acted like a child. But when I became a man, when I became a woman, I put childish things away. I think what Paul is saying to us is that as you, in order to get the benefits of love, you have to give up something. He ends it by saying, you don't get all that. 
continuing to act and think and reason like you did as a child. You have to actually give up something. You have to give to get all of that. You have to give up something. Maybe starting with you know everything. Amen? Maybe starting with you got the right way and you know how it's supposed to work and you know what it's supposed to do and you know where you're supposed to be and you know what you're called to and you maybe the first thing to give up for the more excellent way is acting, thinking, reasoning like a child. Amen? Amen. Ouch. Amen or ouch. Either one works. In these um, uneasy times, I guess, you could, I guess you could call them, you know, you could apply this. You could hear a word like this. You could see scriptures like this. And you could um, say, I know how this applies to my spiritual life, right, to my spiritual development. I have to give up something for, for the betterment of my prayer life. I have to give up something so that I can read the word. I have to give up something for fasting. I have to give up something that, that, that helps me develop my calling and helps me develop my spiritual life after Christ. I understand that when we see scriptures like this or we have moments of conversation like this, the immediate idea, especially when we do it in a, in a church, the immediate idea is that all of this applies to this thing we call our spiritual life. But it applies to our natural life as well. Amen? And let me tell you, let me tell you sort of how this has applied, I guess, to my own, to my own life. In these, in these uneasy times that we are experiencing in our country, that's not, that's not a newsflash to anybody, is it? Y'all know where our country is in a, in a bit of an unrested state right now. And it might be that we've been this way the whole time, but as of late, we have sort of, you know, shaken the bear. But in these uneasy times, people are yelling, something needs to change. Something needs to change. We hear it from the protest lines. We hear it from anonymous people behind their Facebook screens or their Twitter or their Instagram or whatever. We hear it all the time. Something needs to change. And I would submit that maybe something doesn't need to change, but somebody and somebody's need to change, need to give up something. Again, this is relevant to me in my, in my natural life, and it showed up in a very specific way um, lately. Um, I'm black, in case that memo has not arrived. <laughs> I'm black. I'm an African-American woman. Um, I was raised in the South, in Mississippi, and then I traveled with a military family. Uh, I have Pentecostal charismatic roots. That's, all of that is like who I am. I'm an artist and, a, and, a, and, and all of that. And so all of that is kind of what is me. And about four years ago, God moved me to Portland, Oregon catch that. <laughs> About four years ago, he moved me to Portland, Oregon to join my heart in the work that was happening at Warner Pacific College. And, uh, and I decided when I got there, I had been working at my church in Seattle for, for a long time. So I decided when I, got to, when I got to Portland and when I had, you know, I wanted to get my feet deep in at the work that Warner was doing. And so I was going to take about six months to not like join a church. Right, because I was like, I'm not going to join a church yet. I want to try some out, go look around or whatever. And so I was like, let me, let me, let me just take six months where I'll just sort of look around and I'll commit to some place at some point, right? And um, and so I decided um, at one point when I finally was done with all my looking around, um, uh, I decided to that I was. I didn't decide actually. I knew I was led to join uh, this church called Imago Day Community. Now listen, that's Latin for Im image of God, right? They're trying to be fancy. 
But I was, I was led to join this church called Imago Day, And listen, there's no way, there, I mean, there, I could probably be really academic in how I describe Imago Day to you, but what it really comes down to is it's a big white hippie church. That's really what it comes down to. There's just like beards and Birkenstocks from, you know, one side of the room to the other. There's wood paneling and everything is artisan and Portland weird. It's just a big white hippie church. And here I am, from my three-piece suit, stockings and gloves, Pentecostal persuasion. And I'm here at Warner Pacific College, which at the time was still primar primarily uh, a white institution, a white, white community institution. Um, and here I am also at this place called Imago Day, which again is more of the same. But I knew that's where God led me to go and to be and to serve and to do what he has called me to do. The, the week I decided to join Imago was the first week of August 2014. The first week of August 2014. The second week of August 2014 is when the decision uh, of a verdict came down in the Mike Brown case in Ferguson, Missouri. Mike Brown is a young African-American man who was shot and left to die in the streets of Ferguson. The first week I decided to join, the first week of August, I decided to join Imago Day. The second week, there'd be no indictment in the case of Mike Brown in Ferguson, Missouri. The day before that verdict was publicly broadcast, the hashtag Black Lives Matter had been used a total of 48 times. 48. That means not even, not, even all, not even everybody in this room used it. 48 times total. Within a 48-hour cycle of that verdict, it had jumped to over 52,000 times. From 48 times to 52,000 times, hashtag Black Lives Matter jumped. And then, of course, as you know, right on top of that, hashtag All Lives Matter jumped. And so all of a sudden, there's, there's this thing happening in the country. And specifically for me, there's this revolution, there's this awakening, there's, a, there's this identity surge happening among my people, among my culture, among my race. There is this awakening and this rumble, this loudness. And here I am at Warner Pacific College, an Imago Day community. Everything in me wanted to run and find, can I be honest with y'all? Everything in me wanted to run and find my people, find my tribe, find the people that I didn't have to explain myself to, find the people that I didn't need an excuse for, find the people who I could just sit with in this awakening, in this revolution, in this moment. Find my people and just be there. But that's not what God called me to. And I was sure of it. God called me to these other places for, for right now. And I was sure of it, positive, convinced of it, even though Everything in me said, God, there's no way you want me to give up this. There's no way you want me to lay aside that. There's no way you want me to be over here with what's happening over here. There's no way. That's who I am. That's who I'm from. That's what I do. Everybody likes the idea of change until it's your turn, until it's my turn to give up something for it. In this space that we're in right now as a country, and I would even say even as a church that is in this country, but as a church that's much bigger than this country, amen? I believe the world is waiting to see if those powerful people who consider themselves disciples of Christ, who, who want to be disciples of Christ, want to be that so much so 
that they would give up, that they would sacrifice, that they would, that they would adjust in whatever way the Lord calls them to for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of the work, for the sake of releasing heaven everywhere you go. I wonder, I wonder if we're okay with the fact that it's time to give up something. Let's pray. Again, God, thank you for this space, for this moment. And I don't count it as a, as a moment on the clock or an address on the door. I count it as an eternal appointment. And God, I pray that you will quicken our hearts, quicken our minds, quicken our spirits to do whatever it is you are calling us to do as a response to this word. God, we thank you for the ways that you call us and have allowed us and equipped us even to be right. But more importantly, you have called us to be righteous. Give us the bravery, the virtue, and the wisdom to pursue righteousness over right. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. God bless you. I was reading, and um, you know the word that we use, nice? It's like, oh, so-and-so, oh, they're nice. And the root of that word nice is actually indifferent. That's true. If you, go, you can go check it out, but it means indifference. And so often what can happen, you know, we were having a conversation uh, last night. We went to dinner. We didn't actually take Michelle the Junkyard Dogs, by the way, for dinner. We went to a, a nice little boutique Italian restaurant. But we drove by Junkyard, so I'm just defending myself right now. Um, but uh, at any rate, as we, were, as we were driving, we were having a conversation, and part of the conversation was, because we were, we were talking about, you know, issues of race and, and what have you, and, and in the midst of it, we were talking about the things that we run into, uh, being a predominantly white culture here, and because of the unrest and different things that happen, we can end up reactionary as white folk to where we're actually not engaging with our neighbor anymore because all we're thinking about are hashtags. All we're thinking about is accidental racial, racial comments or, or being offensive or seeming too overeager. Like, I promise I'm not making friends with you just because you happen to be black or Mexican or any, any other, you know, any other race. And all these things, come on, go through your mind, right? You're just like, I mean, okay, I guess I'm the only one. I'm the only one that feels this way, so thank you for giving me this moment. No, I think these go through our mind. And here's where we landed. I was saying, I don't really think that racism is as much of an issue. It's not that people are out. I mean, there is racism. It exists. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. There are people that are, honestly, they need Jesus. They're racist, okay? All right, but there's also a huge demographic of people that are just nice. And what we end up doing is we avoid having an accidental, uncomfortable moment, and so we essentially come off as indifferent, and as we were talking, I asked Michelle the question, if you were on the receiving end of this, and, and thank you for allowing me these awkward, you know, I mean, you did not sign up for this, right? You're like, oh, praise Jesus, another white person that feels safe near me, and now I get to answer like the top 10 questions. You should just have it and hand out a sheet. That would be awesome. Anyway, <laughs> but, but here was, here's where we landed. Whether it's racism or whether it's fear or indifference, to the person who's receiving a lack of engagement, it feels the same. So I just want to leave you with that thought. That if we're living out 1 Corinthians 13, you will overcome the concerns of accidentally offending somebody or seeming over-eager or, over or accidentally saying something racist because you will then turn around and say, man, I'm really sorry. That's honestly not what I meant. I really just... I want to get to know you. I want to have lunch with you. I want to treat you the same way that I would treat anybody else. Because we do have a natural tendency, apart from Christ, 
to stay in our own lane. If you're white, you stay in your white lane. Michelle just honestly showed some serious vulnerability there to say, when things were going down, I wanted to go to people that look like me. It's okay for us just to admit that our natural inclination, apart from the life of Christ, is to hang out with people that look like you and speak the same language and have the same, have the same you know, cultural understandings. It's scary to go and learn, find out that you don't know what you don't know. But the love of Christ compels us that we will. So this isn't a message to come and say, hey, you ought to or you should have or, you, or it turns out you're racist and you don't know it. That's nonsense. That's not who we are. That's not what we're doing. You are a son or a daughter of the king of kings. And we are called to demonstrate that there is one family and one father. And he has a very diverse family. So we're living that out. So, Michelle, thank you for so articulate. I am not articulating. For so articulatively. I'm making words up. Doing such a fine job <laughs> of sharing this today. We receive that message. Lord, bless us. Father, help us that we would live out this love. And God, as we do make mistakes because we will, let your love all the more cover those things and heal the wounds in our nation. And let us be a part of that. That we will give up our comfort. That we will give up our preferences. That we will give up our safe zone. And we will take your love and share with every neighbor. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Listen, I want to bless uh, Michelle and her ministry as she continues. Thank you so much for coming. And uh, so we're going to take a love offering right now to, uh, to bless Michelle. So we're going to go ahead and pass those right now. And, um, and then while we're doing that, would you guys, you can extend one hand to your wallet and one hand to Michelle. But I want to just pray over you. And, uh, and we'll do that as we pass these so we can multitask. So, Father, we want to thank you for Michelle. Lord, you've, you have given her as a gift to the Northwest. Lord, and we realize that it's an expensive gift. And Father, we pray that her cup would overflow. Lord, I pray for a continual inflowing of your joy and a, a continual overflow of your anointing. And we pray that you bless her, Lord, in the name of Jesus. And we thank you, Father, and we receive the gift. Amen. Amen. All right, hallelujah. So just for the future, guys, when we're doing this passing, ushering thing at the end of the time, and I pray, you don't have to pray. You can pass while I pray. I always set you up for that, and then it's awkward, isn't it? This is one of those moments. I want to have the prayer servant team come. And uh, if you need blessing today, if you need encouragement, if you need healing in your body, or if you've been doing a great job but your cup isn't overflowing in being someone who's in full-time ministry, which is all of you, then please get some prayer today. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May he lift his countenance up upon you. And may he give you shalom. Love you guys.